three grade 12 English classes connecting community through story. This is the podcast project. It all started when I was 11 years old. One day I was sitting in a classroom with some other kids. I heard some older kids walking on the street and shouting, freedom, freedom. None of us knew what freedom was, but we thought what we were doing looked fun. Maybe it was a game. So everyone in the classroom ran outside and joined them. We were laughing so loud that no one noticed this huge cars drive up. A lot of muscular men walked out of the cars with huge guns in their hands. All of a sudden, I heard a pop, and my friend stopped. My friend, the friend who always hung out with me, fought with me, joked with me, and argued with me, fell down with his eyes wide open, and I knew he was gone. This is not my story, and it may sound like a scene in the movie rather than reality. However, these are words coming from a Syrian student currently in Canada. If you walk outside and ask many relocated Syrians, they may tell you a story of similar experience. Today, in this podcast, you will listen to the journey of a Syrian girl. She has asked to remain anonymous, so in this podcast, she will be referred to as Y. In the second part of this podcast, you will hear a roundtable discussion from a group of high school students. They will be sharing their opinions surrounding the current refugee crisis, which has been an important conversation in our world today. Welcome to This Teen Life, where teens are discussing themes and topics that really matter to us. We are the voices of Generation Z. Why is a girl my age? And if you didn't know her history, you would think we are exactly the same. Typical high school seniors, worried about our next exams and stressed about university applications. Why has that friendly and affectionate smile that makes others want to be her friend? She's pretty in an unassuming way. Long wavy brown hair, studious, like any other girl I sit next to in class. I had never met a Syrian before. I've always felt sorry for those who had to leave their country and come to a completely new place where everyone comes from a different culture and speaks a different language. I remember meeting others who put their heart into supporting people from Syria and making sure that they have access to everything they need. At that time, I did not understand why someone would work so hard to help a stranger, a person who, according to some media outlets, could be a terrorist or someone that's taken away resources, land, and jobs. But this girl, standing right next to me, did not look like someone who was suffering or someone who wanted to harm me. I met Y while volunteering at the same organization, one that helps immigrants and refugees. And over time, I got to know her a bit better. She taught me to write my name in Arabic while I taught her to write hers in Chinese. I didn't know anything about what she had gone through until I interviewed her for this project. And her story totally changed my view of her the world, and what it means to be a refugee. The refugees are humans like you. Um, we had such uh, an amazing life when we were in our country before the war. We have the opportunity and we have the chance to leave because we are humans like you. We have the right to be safe like you. And uh, we have nothing against anyone. We just want to be in 
safe, we just want to live in peace. As an international student in Canada, I've experienced cultural shock and had struggled to adapt in the new environment. Being a student from another country is difficult enough, and I can't imagine how she can prosper before her scarred heart is mended. War is like a sharp knife that tears all the good and bad people into pieces. When I when the war started, everything was good before. We were living a very very typical life. There was very happy. We were all have a very regular life like we are doing here. When the war started, everyone started to feel scared of the other people. You know that in Syria, it's like here, it has lots of religions. But the problem there that um, some religions or some people who belongs to some religions were um, with the government. Most of the government has uh, just one religion. Had something against the other religion that wants to kill the people who has other religions or don't belong to them. Everyone was treating other people as they are friends and they are uh, siblings or whatever was the relationship between them. But after the war it became creepy because you don't know who should you talk with or uh, you have to be very careful because any word you can say it can be, it can come against you. The government started to take the young people like me, like uh, especially the the males uh, who are young to uh, to be a part of their army. Even the girls were treating as they are trash because they are girls. It, like any. Anyone of the government army can take you because he uh, liked the way that you look. So they can take you for for some reasons. You can get killed in any times just because you say that I don't like uh, Bashar Assad policy. You can't really talk to anyone. You have to be aware of everyone. You have to... Uh, Say that you like the government, you like the way that they are doing the things. You can't really have friends because we heard lots of accidents about three people or a group of people sitting together uh, talking about the government and how they are killing the people. And one of them went to one of the army or some special authorities and said that those group of people were talking about Bashar al-Assad or, or his government and they took all the people and killed them. So you have to be aware of everyone. You have to be aware of everything. It was not safe to walk because any, in any moment in you can uh, get killed because of an explosion or even the uh, Russian army because you know the Ru Russian army came to our country and they started you can't really go out your home it's basically the whole life changing you can't do anything but you have to do everything everyone was asking the same questions not even me or not even my family not even my city everyone was asking should we stay in this country and being treated as trash and being scared for the for our whole life or should we do something about it
because it's about humanity. It's not about, it's not religious. It's not about a family who got killed because of someone. It's about a whole country. I know that war is devastating to a country and people in that country, but I never took it that seriously because it always seemed to be so far away from me. In Syria, there is about 36 million people, about a million of them from the beginning of the war until now got killed, and about 12 million of them are refugees in different countries, and the other are uh, like about 2 million are in the jails and no one know anything about them. Uh, about uh, and the other the other people are are still in Syria but they don't know when they will die because they may die in any moment the mom can see her kids getting killed she can't do anything about it the dad may come to his house and he will find it completely destroyed with his family with everything almost in this house he can't do anything about it. He can just cry. So the whole life changed for us from the beginning of the war till now. We've always take the most basic things for granted. Our routines, our warm weather house without a big yard, our favorite cafe at the corner of our school, the bus that hardly comes on schedule, and the Wi-Fi that never works on Monday morning. But when they're taken away, there's lots of points that you hated in your life, but when it changed after the war, you'll find that it was really, really good and really beautiful. At this time of the year, I'm overwhelmed by all the tasks and projects I need to do at school. For many students, getting to class on time and finishing assignments by the due date is a daily stress. But in Syria, during the war, why had all these stresses and more? Then, during the war, I had to go to school in the morning, or running to school, because it's not safe to walk there. Then I had to go back home, sit with my family, study all the time, because it became really difficult to, to pass your classes, because you can't go to school every day. It was really unsafe to go to school every day. Finally, White's family made the decision to leave Syria and escape from the war. Still, leaving home is one of the hardest decisions a person can make. When I left home to study in Canada, although I knew I would have a home to go back to, I still felt extremely nervous and anxious. The language, the culture is so different, and I struggled for months to adapt. In the first few months after I arrived, there was no single moment that I did not want to go home. I can't imagine how I would feel to leave home knowing that I could never go back. It was really hard. You'll feel that you're leaving everything, not even your country. It's your home, your family, your culture, your um, everything is taken of you. It's really hard, especially when you find that you will never meet your friends again. The last scene that I really remember and I can, cannot ever forget in Syria when I phoned my friend and I told her that, that I'm leaving 
When I left my house, I just found about three girls in front of my house, crying, just wanting to say goodbye. And it was really sad because, you know, they, they are my childhood friends. I spent most of my time with them. They were like my sisters and my brothers. And I just can't see them again. I thought that I may not have the opportunity to complete my learning in another country because I knew that I don't really speak English very well. And although even when I went to Turkey, we didn't know if we will come to Canada or not, if they will accept us or not. So it was hard when I was in Turkey especially because I didn't know have to communicate with Turkish people, especially that they didn't accept the refugees. I'm not talking about the government, uh, the Turkish people, most of them, especially in the city that I was living in, the people there didn't like the refugees and they were treating them very, very unusual, they didn't accept them. The thought of leaving home is difficult enough, but physically walking away from your home country is at another level. Why's journey started rather suddenly? I was in the school. There was an explosion happening about two kilometers of my school. And I um, knew that it's beside my grandpa's house. And I was really scared because my grandpa is with his own. No one was there. And I was crying in the school. And I then when I... Uh, came home, my uh, mom said that my grandpa is fine and she called my uh, uncle who is living here, who is Canadian and uh, she told him about the uh, explosion that happened and he asked her to leave Syria and uh, go to Turkey. This part was uh, really hard and it freaked me out because I knew that I will never come back again. I heard lots of stories that uh, the refugees, when they, when they leave Syria, the government in Syria will never allow them to come back. And anyone who come back, even um, in irregular ways, will get killed. So I was looking at everything for the last time. After two days, my mom uh, went to Lebanon with my grandpa and my uncle, my other uncle. And uh, for me, my brother and my father, we stayed home for uh, one day. Then my dad paid for a smuggler and uh, to just take us from my city to Turkey by the mountains. And it was really, really, really difficult journey. When everyone wants to kill you, the guns are everywhere. Uh, you may get killed anytime, even if my my brother or my my father got killed, I have to continue my way because uh, if you didn't pass it, you will die with your family. We all know that the smugglers are liars and they uh, stole from the people and sometimes they may leave the people who paid for them. as what happened to me. 
they left us and we didn't know the way to Turkey and it was really hard to get to through the mountains to be in Turkey. When I left, I went my father and my brother in a taxi to um, another city. But the problem that uh, the government are not allowing people to go to Turkey. So we had to take a very, very uh, long way to Turkey. I went to another city and uh, the smuggler who belongs to the government was waiting for us. We came with him to other city and we stayed in an old house for a night. We stayed in a, in a very small room and in the other room was about five people there and were not allowed to go out the room. And the next day at 4 a.m. It was really dark outside and they took us to a very big hole and it was uh, half a full in water because there was lots of rain in the last night. Uh, we had to come through it. We walked for about four kilometers in this big hole and about six hours we found a guy with a phone he gave it to us and he said, someone called us and he said that uh, there is uh, someone waiting for us after one kilometer. But the street that we were in was full of people who have guns, so we had to run. If you stopped, you will get killed for sure. So I was running with my brother, my father and five guys there. After that, we uh, met a guy and he said that uh, you have to follow me. And I had to... Um, wear something that covered all of my face, my hair, my body. I was skin but uh, I couldn't even see anything because I was completely covered. The ISIS uh, were waiting for us so I had to be completely covered because they would kill me if I didn't do this. We met them and, and they didn't do anything to us actually because the guy who gave us the phone was with them and he said that they belonged to us. So they didn't really kill us, but they took us to another house and another city and stayed there for about three hours. We met a young guy who led us to uh, the mountains that they are between Turkey and Syria. When the police there in the mountain, there was two mountains that you have to get through them to pass them to get to Turkey, to be in Turkey. The police, the Turkish police, were between those mountains and they were shouting the people. So they called them Jandirma. So we had to stay about 12 hours in the mountain, hiding be between the trees and the uh, plants to hide ourselves from them. At 11 p.m., uh, the smuggler run. We didn't know the way. So we passed the mountains, but you had to walking about four kilometers to reach Turkey. My father heard uh, a voice. It was speaking Arabic because everyone there was speaking Turkish because of the gendarme there. My dad heard an Arabic voice and he walked slowly to reach the voice and he found the same smuggler walking with another family to lead them to Turkey. He was yelling on him he said that, why did you do this to me? I paid you and I gave you everything you want just to lead us to Turkey and you just left us. When my father yelled on him and when he was screaming, 
the smuggler felt um, so scared because of my dad's voice and he said that I will lead you and he took us to the village that we had and the village was called uh, Kuchi. Having to leave home was hard for a while, but thankfully she was lucky enough to come to Canada. It's really far. It took us about 36 hours to come from Turkey to here. But it was really good feeling for me because we were treating as trash in Turkey. And um, I can uh, kind of communicate with some, like uh, other people in Canada. I knew that I have uh, some words in English that I can speak. I liked English when I was in Syria. I wanted to, to learn English. And I heard lots of people talking about Canada, that people here are kind and are acceptable for the refugees and um, they are treating the other people very well. So I was really excited to come to here to Canada. It took us about 10 months in Turkey to get to here. We didn't know even if we would get the chance to come to here as lots of people and as my uncle who is waiting in Turkey now to come to here to Canada from two years and a half. It was a, a really, really good chance if you will get it um, to come to here and um, we will may have the opportunity to complete our life normally as we were doing before the war. Arriving in Canada, one received the warmest welcome she'd ever had in her long journey. When I first came to here, I uh, met my uh, some of the sponsored with my uncle. They were smiling, they welcomed us, and um, when we came to here, they uh, had rent this house for us. They seemed to be uh, happy for us to come to here. Uh, in the first day, we slept directly because we had about 36 hours without sleeping and the next day we we went uh, with my uncle to downtown we uh, met lots of people everyone was smiling everyone seemed happy and that's what I liked about being here because uh, it felt like home as the interview came to a close I had some final questions for why. There's a lot going on in the media about refugees and refugee crisis. Do you think the media's portrayal of refugees and the current situation in Syria is accurate? You know, because um, no one is doing anything for Syria. Uh, I know like here, um, they did a lot for us, especially here in Canada and some countries who they are accepting their refugees. But the problem is that the people who are in Syria, who they don't have the opportunity to leave, to leave Syria, they are doing nothing for them. But the war is continuing. The, the government is using the chemicals against the people there. And they are still uh, saying that they will, f uh, they will find out uh, where the chemical came from. They should do something about it. The people are dying every day there. Hundreds of people are dying there. They should really do something about it to protect the people, to protect the humanity.
When you applied to move to Canada, what kind of a process did you go through? Were you interviewed by anyone from Canada? Yeah, actually, they uh, did lots of uh, interviews for us, and they uh, did uh, ask us about uh, our life in Syria and uh, what was my uh, dad's work there and uh, was he fighting or not, and you know, lots of um, important questions that we have to be asked, and they did um, a medical check for us. Uh, just to make sure that we don't have any diseases that may not be safe for the Canadian people here. There are some people who have negative ideas about refugees. What would you like to say to these people? I would like to say that um, the, the refugees are uh, humans like you. Um, we had such uh, an amazing life when we were in our country before the war. We have the opportunity and we have the chance to leave because we are humans like you. We have the right to be safe like you and uh, we have nothing against anyone. We just want to be in safe. We just want to live in peace. We left our country with no chance. No one had chance to leave there because we it's not safe at all to stay in there. We we really love our country and we didn't want to leave it, but we had to because of the war. Um we are all humans, we are all living under the sky, we are all living on the same planet. I don't know what they feel about the refugees, but for me, we are all humans and we all have the right to be alive. We all have the right to be in safe. If you could talk to your younger self from two years ago, what would you say? Be stronger. Don't feel guilty because I felt lots of time guilty because I left Syria. Syria needs the people to protect it. It's, it was our country, it was our home that we left it. And um, Syria is in pain now. Everyone there is in pain. And everyone there is living a very hard time. So I would say to myself, just be stronger, don't feel guilty. One day Syria will be better. One day Syria will be unsafe. And like... Many of us. Why has her dream career? What's her plan for your future? For the future, my plan is to uh, study medicine in uh, UBC here. I really like it because I feel treating the people who are in pain, who are who need to be treated, is really important. Because I saw lots of people in Syria who didn't have the opportunity to to be alive because there's no medicines for them, there's no treatments for them. So I feel that helping people to get the right treatment and to help them to, to continue their life is very important for me because I don't have the opportunity to do it in my country and I feel that everyone 
should have someone to protect him from the diseases or whatever it was. So I feel that it's really important thing for me. Is there anything you would like to say to other young people or teenagers going through the same thing you have experienced? You should be stronger. You shouldn't be scared. What will happen to you will happen because everything, everything we say, everything is written. Anyone and everyone, who, even if if he was really young or really uh, uh, scared can make the difference. Any one of us can, even in a few steps, you don't have to to give it lots of time, you don't have to give it lots of money, but every one of us can change the world. You, We can all change what's happening, not even in Syria, in all over the world, because we are, we are part of the world and we can change it. Why is lucky that she can come to Canada? But what happened to her best friend remained in Syria is unfortunate. I heard that uh, one of my best friends uh, passed in Syria because of an explosion that happened. She was working when there was, an, when there was a bomb. When she heard the voice of the people screaming, she went to the church because she felt that she will be safe in the church. But uh, suddenly the explosion happened in the church and... Uh, she passed there. Could you tell us a little bit more about her? Her name is Jessica. She's a Christian and she is about 19 years old. She has two sisters. She's living with her parents and actually she is a, such an amazing friend. She is really kind and she is she likes other people. She always wants to be in safe. She always wants the peace for everyone. But she is one of the people. She doesn't belong to the government. This is what she did in their side. She she's guilty because she's that's why she got killed. Were you too close? Yeah. She is one of my best friends. This is Y's story. Her experience was rather tragic, but she and her family are lucky enough to have ended up in Canada safely. As of January 2017, 40,081 refugees have been resettled in Canada. Yet according to the UN, over 6.5 million Syrian people are homeless and displaced in the country. And around 5,000 Syrians flee the country every day. Around 4.5 million Syrians are refugees in nearby countries, but they have not guaranteed a good quality of life. You have heard Y's story in this podcast, but I would also like to share another piece of story from another Syrian student in Canada, who escaped to Jordan at some point during the war. A detail that I found to be really profound was when a student said that they'd learned to walk like Jordanese, speak like Jordanese, and criticize how Syrian people have destroyed their country, like Jordanese, in order to live a normal life. The conflict in Syria continues today. People are dying every minute. I feel extremely sad and sorry. Not just because people are suffering in Syria, but because there's nothing I can do to change it.
Every now and then, when I find things are tough in my life and start to complain, I think about Y and her long journey from the bombs and gunfire. Then even the toughest problem doesn't think so intimidating anymore. After this interview, I realized a lot of the labels that people often put around the label of refugees are very different from the reality. Many things in our lives associated with labeling people have troubled us in a lot of different ways. I wanted to learn about how other high school students feel about this topic, so I organized a roundtable talk to discuss how students are affected by labels and to share their opinions on the refugee crisis. Welcome back to this teen life. I'm Jay, and I'm joined by Q, A, A, S, and R. Today we're going to talk about labels, how labels affect our everyday life, and how they may be related to the ongoing refugee crisis. So let me start off by asking a pretty personal question. Many people believe that high school is a judgmental place. Would you personally say this is true? Yes. Why? I think when you're at school, you see friends and you would think they're background and judge them as like popular or like sporty people or not necessarily in a negative way, but in positive ways too, like all the time. It's just how it is in mm-hmm. school. There is a kind of investment in appearance in high school, and there wouldn't be such an investment in appearance if there wasn't some kind of judgment being formed based on appearance or based on some other factor. Yeah, I really agree with that. And I also think that people have these ideas of certain, they view certain people as perfect, for example. Like they have the perfect boyfriend or girlfriend, the perfect wardrobe, the perfect personality, everything, but then they label them as that and then they think they have to keep up that standard, whereas they may be going, like having something going on in their personal life, like a divorce or a a mental health issue or something, but they have to keep up that standard and it might make it even harder for them. Mm -hmm. By the same token, it's easy to get sucked into being a person who isn't the best person you can be because that's how you're treated at all times. So maybe you had a rough first day or first week at school, mouth off to a teacher or whatever, (laughs) um, and isolated yourself. And because of that, that becomes the only person who you are for a year, two years, three years, because of the first impression you made was negative one, and you can't really get out of that hole. So with that being said, do you believe people form an opinion of you before actually really getting to know you? Yes, because like people form an opinion within I think it's like the first thirty seconds or so of meeting someone, even if that thirty seconds isn't say a conversation and you can't learn everything about everyone's life experiences and learn to know them in depth in thirty seconds. We can also judge people based on like things that other people have said. So it's like kind of like word of mouth and like pre judge someone without even meeting them and it's very not fun. (laughs) Yeah, I totally think so too. And I think that a lot of it's just kind of human nature where people, I mean, before people were really developed, it's just looking at someone being like, okay, they're dangerous or they're not dangerous. But I mean, now you can still have intuition about someone when you're, you know, walking down a dark street, but then having more of the ability to let your mind be open to having that opinion changed after you get to know them is, I don't know, I guess it's, it's kind of more important. It kind of encourages the social paranoia where you are afraid to be anything but perfect when meeting someone, whether that's, you know, joking or what have you, because you know that however you present yourself in the next minute or two minutes is going to determine how this person feels about you for the rest of the time you know them. 
Mm-hmm. So you get quite nervous about that scenario so, because it's so important. So how do these predetermined stereotypes about you affect you? Well, I think what we were kind of getting into before was when you're labeled like a certain a certain label, then you need to feel like you need to keep up with that label. So as Kay was saying, it may be negative and you feel like you can't get out of that if someone labels you as a stoner or a dropout or someone who really doesn't exceed academically, then you may not feel the need to improve because, oh, well, everyone already thinks of you that way. Might as well just keep it up. Also, I feel like in terms of like people who are like different skin colors and different cultures and different backgrounds as opposed to like westernized society it's kind of like there's predetermined stereotypes based upon like family lines and like how like racism is really inbred as like generations go on i feel like that has a lot to do with stereotyping people and like labeling them as like dangerous or not educated and it's very derogatory i don't like it <laughs> Any more thoughts? Yeah, I could definitely agree with that, the racism <clears throat> type of thing, or just prejudgment about that. I don't think a lot of people, especially in high school now that it's, you know, it's 2018, people don't necessarily do it knowingly. I don't believe that big population would say like a racial slur or something um, in a derogatory way, of course, but I think that people make prejudgments without even knowing it because of how our society is shown, whether it be media or whatever else. Yeah, it's a lot to do about ignorance as well. Mm-hmm. It's very, yeah, it's not good. And another thing to relate back to that is that people do things, especially in high school, to like impress people and to like impress whether it's their friends or other friend groups or new people. And so that kind of can lead down a path sometimes where someone's not being true to themselves because they're trying to impress someone and they're trying to put out that kind of perfect persona. And in doing that, they do things that are offensive. So, do people use labels to form ideas of others? And how do you think this affects the way we interact with each other? Yeah, I mean, when you're at a store, you see labels, and those labels are pretty much the only thing you go on. You can know, like, Rice Krispies more than, like, Raisin Bran, and you're going off of labels there. And we do kind of use the same thing for daily life, because it's so much simpler and easier to say, this person's X, Y, and Z, instead of this person is infinitely more complicated than I could ever understand, because that kind of overthought would be paralyzing. But at the same time, that kind of underthought, that's this person's X, Y, and Z, that kind of underthought is dangerous because it promotes the idea that everyone can understand everyone. You can't ever understand someone. I feel like the safest way to make sure you're not being so specific with your labels it's kind of accept that people are different, but that, that doesn't mean that people are scary. Mm-hmm. And adding on to that, I mean, have happy labels like those people are the druggie group or something like that. Don't want to get involved with the wrong crowd, but why are they the wrong crowd? What happened to their life beforehand? Did they have something that drove them to that life? Were they not even part of that group and then they got sucked in? And then as we talked about, the label just started to define them. Like, where did that come from? It also makes us compare ourselves to others and either downplay ourselves or think that we're better than everybody else. And it kind of takes a toll on your self-esteem and makes you kind of not really make friends with people that you just think, oh, I'm not as cool as them or oh, I'm not involved in the same things, but you don't really know them. It's just based on what their outside is like. Mm-hmm. Next question. Being honest and completely unfiltered, 
What is the first thing that pops into your head about refugees? Pity. These are people who didn't choose the outcome that they have, mm -hmm. and yet they're now being treated as though they've made some kind of reckless decision that's endangered them. I shouldn't pity them, I should help them, mm -hmm. but pity is the first response. I think more anger, because I feel like refugees aren't treated as well as they should be treated, and that a lot of people, for one reason or another, have no issue being like, okay, well, it's not our problem. That, that kind of makes me angry, because it's not just the problem of the refugee who's leaving their country, it's the problem of everyone, because someone needs to help them. And that you can't just ignore an issue, even if it doesn't directly affect you, because in some way, it probably will affect you at some point. People should be doing more to help refugees and to make sure that they are getting what they need, and so that way they can hopefully come out of this in the best way possible and go forward with what they want to do. Mm -hmm. I was going to say sadness, because you see all these pictures on the news or news stories where people are you know in these huge boats or having these big problems and it's just it's it's so saddening to see and exactly what s was saying how people aren't doing enough and i think that so many people have the mentality okay well what about the people in our nation who are having problems and yes that's true there are a lot of people in this nation who are also still struggling and not enough is being done there but i think that using our nation as an argument I mean, humans are humans, and if they need help, they need help. Also, to add on to what you were saying, the help people here first mentality is so isolating that it makes you feel that there is no hope for people to interact with each other. <laughs> because if you say that people outside of the country that you're in do not matter, it's really kind of unhealthy almost because you're isolating yourself so much. Yeah, there's also a direct comparison with how when we say Black Lives Matter, there are people who say, oh, well, no, all lives matter. And of course, that's true. But in a sense, we're not saying that other lives don't matter. When you're saying, oh, let's help the people here first, you're kind of avoiding that, like, there are certain people we want to help. But then as soon as, oh, we want to help them, it's like, oh, but why don't you help everyone? And it's like, if you have that mentality, why aren't you doing anything? It's like, as soon as someone says... I'm going to help this certain group of people, they say, but why? Why don't you help everyone? It's ridiculous. I really like that. You can go off that mentality with anything, like saying, I love french fries, and one just attacks you. Oh, I love every type of potato, you know? Yeah. And I mean, you can love more than one thing. You can help more than one thing. Um, because we see all those, like, refugees and, well, Black Lives Matter through the news, we don't really see it directly in front of me so it's like easy to make judgment if i saw it in, right in front of me people crying getting hurt i would like so happy to help them out but because i see it through news and through the distance i don't really make movement yeah the media definitely desensitizes us with certain issues because it's like we hear it so much that we think that the number of refugees are statistics instead of actual people with memories and hurt and morals and everything. Yeah, kind of the, the assumption that this is normal, that there are always people capsizing and dying, because that's all that's presented and has been presented for much of our lives since we were able to form, you know, 
relatively cohesive thoughts don't think we're there yet but we get this impression that this is the way it always has been and always will be and that's false and it shouldn't be the assumption we're kind of just passing the oppression and hurt and suffering around what do you think of when you hear the word refugee and what connotation comes along with the title of being a refugee well i think i automatically go to someone who's suffering someone who's poor and what i kind of thought before was that they would be living in poverty their whole life they were in their war-torn country but i think it was the book height runner or something i read it looking at the lives before the war broke out and how they were living just like us living in a happy lifestyle going out with friends playing in the yard just completely normal no poverty at all and the refugees that we see here some of them are people who were extremely wealthy and most of them were because they have to have the money to come here and just imagining that it doesn't make it any better or any worse that they were rich before but just to imagine how they could go to one extreme to the other, how it could happen to anyone. Okay, well, I think that like kind of the connotation that comes across with being a refugee is that it very much depends on what type of media you're looking at, because in some ways they're portrayed as, oh, they all want to come after us, or they're coming to be terrorists or something like that, which I personally don't believe is true at all. But, and then there's kind of the other point of view that's like, oh, these poor people, we need to help them, which is, kind of true but also not because they're not necessarily poor they didn't like and said they had like childhoods and were raised in ways that in some cases were very similar to us and they had what we would describe as a completely normal life Mm -hmm. and so i think it's unfortunate that in kind of how they're viewed as having not what we have and having had a lot less throughout their entire lives when that's not true the connotation of refugee at least what I can see means being judged by people for what people other than yourself have done. So regardless of your own personal merits, you're being evaluated based on not only the prejudice that one person has, but the prejudice that an entire society has. And because of that, who you are seems to matter very little because there's so much built-up assumptions that people have made over the course of their lives from hearing news, stories, perhaps personal stories, whatever, but you have even less opportunity to express who you are than an average person. Yeah, so just going off what Kay was saying, I heard a story in the news about uh, a refugee in Germany and he raped German girls. Then the response was, okay, we need to take no more refugees. And the unfortunate part of that is that that man was a person. He was a bad person but he was just a person. It doesn't matter what color he was, what race he was, anything else about him. He was a horrible person, and that's all we can say. And I think that, as well in Canada, we have problems with people, you know, being raped, unfortunately. The statistics don't matter what their nationality was. So I think going off exactly, yeah, what Kay was saying, those preconceived ideas of saying, now one person makes a mistake, we're going to judge every single person and categorizing and labeling them like that, is just the absolute worst thing to do, yet we unfortunately as humans do it very often. And just to go off what Anne said, it's kind of the idea of we need to look at people as an individual and what that individual has gone through and what their story is and not 
taking that story and putting it on and like kind of painting it across every other person that is coming from a similar situation. Because while you may have this notion of a hateful person or a whatever person who's coming across to be mean, the vast majority of people who are coming here are delightful people, like truly fantastic people. Because the vast majority of people are nice people. <laughs> you only hear about the bad ones because they're the abnormality. So you have millions of people who have so much to add and you're going to deny them that because of one person. If that was the case, white males would be in a <laughs> hell of a lot of trouble. <laughs> because it's bizarre that one group is judged and every excuse is made for them. Oh, mental health issues. Um, the situation where he grew up. And then they perpetrate this horrible act. And how could we have known? This was so bizarre. Like, all these circumstances must have been perfect to come together to create such an awful person. And then some other person who is not white or male does something bad. And that expression immediately goes the other way. It says, wow, that person grew up like that. That's how they all are. Come on. We all know this. This is just a fact. And there's no excuses made, there's no emphasis on anything but the fact that that person may have had darker skin. Mm -hmm. And it's really kind of awful. Oh, when I saw the news, uh, refugee raping German girls in Germany, in Cologne, I think it was, I saw a lot of in media that it was because the background that he grew up, like he grew up in a Muslim culture that women don't have rights and men are superior than women. So that like this person was not like used to like German women walking on the streets normally without men. But I don't think it's necessarily true because I know a couple of Muslim men that have not raped girls. And... Yeah, I totally agree with what A was saying. It has nothing to do with his demographic or his background. It's the type of person that he is and the choices that he chose to make. With all that being said, do you think Canada should take in more refugees? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think Canada has a big part to play in this because like, this is an opportunity for Canada to first of all step up and take a lead and take in refugees. And also we have room, we have resources, we have the ability, the ability in like kilometers and like in land to take in people. Mm -hmm. And also if Canada really wants to live up to saying we are a multicultural country where we accept every culture and so on and so forth, then we need to accept more refugees because that is a part of how we advertise ourselves to the world. So I think we need to live up to that in our actions. Okay. I was just going to say, moving from that to relating it back to labels, I think some people may, I agree with you, S, but I think some people may disagree because they believe that certain refugees are not qualified, for example, to get jobs, to speak the language, things like that. I think that a big ignorance that's very prominent in Canada is, oh, these people don't speak English. And the thing is that we don't realize English is a very international language, and being Canadian, obviously French is another one of our languages, but I'm speaking of the English-speaking Canadians, that people just don't know how lucky they are to be born with the mother tongue of English. And I think that that obviously doesn't make them superior at all, but they maybe not can't understand the struggle that those people have. And I think that some of those people, I'm talking about refugees, some of those people who were 
coming from a different country. They were doctors. They were lawyers. They were businessmen or businesswomen. And yes, their degrees do not usually carry through and are qualified to be a doctor, be a lawyer, be a businessman, woman, whatever. Those can carry on. You can open business, whatever you want. But I think they have the skills. It's just not carrying through. And people have these judgments of, oh, they just work in McDonald's. Oh, they just work in, you know, uh, some kind of labor job. They're not contributing to our society when really they are some of the founding people. Mm-hmm. By kind of the same rationale, there will be people who say, we don't have the resources or I'm not willing to have someone who doesn't speak English into the country. And when you're allowing the fact that someone who can't speak the same language as you is deserving of death or torture or some other fresh hell because you say they are inferior to you because of the language they speak or the place they come from. That's the most truly inhuman thing in the refugee situation, the fact that there are people who say, because you don't speak my language and because I'm afraid of you because I don't know you, you are not worthy of life. That's absolutely horrifying. Mm. And like to just go off of your point that it's also, and what Kay related to, is that I don't think it's okay to kind of pick and choose refugees in terms of, oh, like, what is your job? What do you do? Like, were you a lawyer? Oh, like, we need more lawyers. Come to Canada. And so I don't think that's fair because it kind of neglects the other people who maybe there's a woman who stayed at home and maybe she raised four amazing children. So is it then not okay to accept someone who did something else or someone who maybe didn't go to school and get a PhD in something? We need to be accepting people who have all professions. Going off what I was saying, um, we live in a culture where we celebrate our Steve Jobs as our whomever who dropped out of university and didn't get that education but still were success. And yet we vilify people in other cultures who may have done the same thing. That's, I think, because we've turned refugees into numbers. We've turned them into not real people with memories and lives and all their experiences that they've had. We've turned them into items. They're no longer human. So with all of this information we've just talked about, do you believe we have a responsibility as the privileged to support those who are in a less fortunate position than ourselves? Yeah, okay. Regardless of privilege or not, it is human to want to support those who are in need of support. So whether that's a home and a job, or whether that is half of a granola bar when someone has none. It doesn't matter what you have to give or what the other person doesn't have. Mm -hmm. As long as there's disparity, there's a need to help because we are human. And I think going off what Kay said, like we have this responsibility as human beings, but also like as someone who has privilege, you have an even higher level of responsibility because you have the resources with which to provide more for people and with which to give more generously, for lack of a better phrase. And so I think there's the added responsibility then where it's like, well, now it is necessary to give give people the, the same opportunities you have had because you are lucky enough to have them. Mm-hmm. Going off of that, I feel like we learn more about sympathy than empathy. And I feel that really plays a part in how much we contribute. So I feel as though we need to realize that these are people exactly like us. These are people who have family members, interests, likes, dislikes, memories, morals, everything and we kind of lose that in a sense of because we label them as refugees we have this name to them they aren't human they're something else that's coming here 
And we definitely do have to help them. It's something that is our duty. I feel like everyone who is privileged should be able to do that. To kind of ask a question of my own, um, do you think it would be different if you turned on the news instead of saying, like, thousands of refugees flee wherever, that said thousands of people flee wherever? Would that bring them closer to you? I think it almost, like, for me, when, like, when you say that, it almost kind of generates a bit more alarm, if that makes sense. Because yeah. when I hear that thousands of people are fleeing in country, the first thing I think of is, oh my god, something happened. And that, for me, really generates a sense of panic, even though I know it wouldn't directly hurt me. Yeah, I think it generated more alarm because we do realize that, oh my god, we are people. Like, we're, we relate more to it. It's more empathic that way. And I feel like if news outlets really depicted these people as people... They would generate more support and more alarm and more awareness. I mean, you have an earthquake that, or even a hurricane in Florida that raised billions of dollars. There was instant response everywhere because it was, look at these people fleeing their homes in these stories, and look at the victims, all these words that evoke empathy and release, whereas refugees evoke, start, has been used so much that it stopped being evocative a long time ago. Coming off of that, using the word people, it kind of relates it more to us. And because if the word refugee, people don't relate it to themselves. And because it doesn't relate directly to us, some people just don't care. And I think that's why I just wanted to give an example of that. The photo of the toddler who washed up on the beach, that picture evoked so much empathy in people. And it had this massive response. Like, that was such a terrible circumstance, and because, like, you need something like that to vote so much more response, and because people just don't invest themselves in the refugee crisis enough to have that response evoked in them, and there's not the empathy that's needed. Labels really do desensitize us and really do dehumanize people who are exactly like this, and I feel like labels really take away human emotion towards other people. And that's in high school, that's in media, that's in this refugee situation. We're all people, despite race, gender, sexuality, where we come from, how we talk, what languages we speak. And in the end of the day, we really just need to think about that. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast project. We just want to give a special thanks to Twisted Wave for all their support. Join us next time for more from this teen life.